I'm Keith Morrison. I've been a correspondent for Dateline NBC for 25 years. And in that time, I've never seen a story quite like this before. If you have watched television in the last five decades, you will know that voice. Keith Morrison, introducing a podcast entitled That Thing About Pam. Mm -hmm. Mr. Morrison, explain. What do you mean? Why are you taking the name that should have been the name of my podcast? You know, if you listen (laughs) to that broadcast... (laughs) <laughs> you may not want the name anymore. <laughs> I probably won't. No. This is 25 years on that you've been doing true crime. Yeah. How, did, how did that happen? You're the guy that went Tiananmen Square. You're uh, the guy that uh, covered boat people. You're the guy that anchored newscasts. Mm-hmm. Where, where did this come from? It, it was it was foisted on me, Pam. I, I had to do it. And <laughs> And honestly, I didn't want to do it. I was, I, I was, I, I tried, I just about quit over it at one point. Not going to do this. It's terrible. We shouldn't be t- making our viewers listen to this dreadful stuff. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I caved eventually. <laughs> it, and, and as I got into these stories, recognized that they are not only fascinating, but that they deal with all the issues that all human beings have to confront um, exactly. during their lives. And, you know, the most extreme of them are the ones that play a starring role in our story, but all the other ones, the supporting role uh, issues that people deal with are a part of these things too. And, and that's what I find so fascinating. But but what is our fascination with this? I mean, huge ratings for yeah. for twenty five years. These and it's not just gruesome stuff. I mean, that's yeah. there. But there's something more. I, are we living vicariously? Uh, I don't know. We want emotional impact. Uh, I don't what's know. your sense? You know, I there. I've heard tons of theories about this, and, yeah. and uh, you know, any one of them could possibly be the case. It's a worldwide phenomenon. It may just be that, um, uh, that it feels like the world is a much more chaotic place than it felt like it was before. And, and maybe that's because social media is around to help us make it feel chaotic. Or maybe that's because some of the people in positions of authority are behaving that way. I don't know. But people, yeah. uh, maybe people need to know what the extremes of human behavior are. Uh, almost as a method of self-protection like a you know yeah we have to survive i agree with i agree with that i think we even do that in political reporting and everything else that if you say this is where we could end up this is how bad it could be yeah it sometimes shocks people whether we're looking at pictures of forest fires or war or whatever it may be yeah i agree um so likely but also um as a colleague of mine says, it's not it's not about the murder, it's about the marriage. Yeah. And um because you know, there's always a backstory to these things, and there's always, there are always uh, are pathologies um, that we all deal with in one way or another, to some small degree or larger one, and they contribute to uh, whatever it is happens. And so as you sort of go back through a person's life to see what preceded these events, um you get to dig in places where you probably otherwise never would. Uh, you get to sit and talk with people um, as if you were some sort of therapist or something, and they, you know, in front of television cameras and with the knowledge it'll be watched by millions of people, will open up. 
and, and tell you their very personal stories. It, and, and that requires some pretty serious, genuine empathy on your part to give them that comfort zone. Well, yes, because they put themselves in an extremely vulnerable position mm -hmm. um, to talk to a guy from the television station. And, you know, some people want to, they want to have that sort of notoriety, yeah. but, but usually it's because people are trying to deal with it themselves and um, they find the process somewhat cathartic and they are trying to let the whole world know that what happened uh, was something important, uh, not just to them, but that it should be considered important, that the person they lost should be important, that, that how it happened should be not allowed to happen again or some such thing. We've seen in the time of Me Too and Black Lives Matter and even COVID to a certain extent, uh, the cop shows, the yeah. the real live cop shows taken off the air, uh, hypersensitivity to what is said, um, concern about whether the victims and the stories that you and others portray are are the perfect victims, the the blonde, blue eyed, not the, you know, sure. homeless hooker. Yep. Um, and and is that, you know, can it survive in the days of this kind of sensitivity? Well, it probably can. I mean, uh, um, <laughs> I could, if it didn't, Pam, I would not be warning. I, I mean, <laughs> if we got over this uh, fascination with crime, it wouldn't be a problem for me. But yeah. um, but I don't think we will because those whatever those driving forces are are still there. Um, and, and, and it was quite a reasonable allegation that we were too concerned with the, uh, you know, the the, the Little Red Riding Hood story kind of right. characters and that we, you know, if she was young and blonde and pretty, she had a place on our program. And um, those of us who worked on the program had struggled pretty hard to make sure that wasn't too much, uh, that we try to keep that down as much as we could, but, you know. As but you're also in the television business and you also... You're in the TV business and you look at the yeah. ratings the next morning and you'll see that ratings for that kind of story surpass other kinds of stories. And, yeah. yeah. I I just would... I, I want to come back and talk about your times in, in Canada too. You know, the boy from hmm. um, Lloyd Minster, you ended up in LA and, and more than once, but the last time you've been there for quite a long time. So you've You've practiced journalism on both sides of the border. You've raised children on both sides of the border. You have lived and loved on both sides of the border. Yes. Um, what are the what are the thoughts you've come to as you sit back about mm. where we're at in terms of politics in in the country you now call home or the country where you now live? Politics here in Canada and and the future of media. I mean, we got a whole lot of stuff to do here. Where do you want to start? <laughs> One of my Canadian, um, a Canadian daughter-in-law, whenever I speak to her, will ask me how things are in the dumpster fire. <laughs> it, it feels, it's a very strange time in America. Um, and and uh, you know, Suzanne and I have always felt like, you know, Canadians living in America, but we've never, we're, we're here, but we're not out here. If you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You experience yep. it in ways that are both positive and negative. It's a it's a fascinating country, 
Um, the first thing that became apparent to us when we came here is it's most decidedly not Canada. There are two <laughs> vastly different countries. I don't know whether you had that experience as well. I absolutely had that experience. And seeing my own country, which you do as a journalist, you run around the world and then you see your own country through a very different lens. But I spent nearly five years in New York and you look at Canada very, very differently when you see it through their eyes or from their perspective, meaning. The oh, Americans. yes, you do. I try to explain it sometimes to my American. They'll ask me about mm -hmm. Canada, especially lately, because there are more than a few people saying, you know, if I could migrate, I might. <laughs> but uh, so right. you get the question, what's what, you know, why, why are they different? What's and you try to explain it. And um, often that you get halfway through and somebody's eyes will glaze over. <laughs> yes, they glaze over. I used to I used to try and explain where Saskatchewan was, and I'd say, you know, it, it's our it's our Midwest, and still, again, because for New Yorkers, they don't know where the Midwest in the U.S. is either. So you'd kind of say, go to North exactly. Dakota and turn right, and you'll you'll be roughly yeah. there. <laughs> but it is hard to explain. I mean, all the cliches, you know, America's our best friend, whether they know it or not. We're their best friend, whether we like it or not. You know, those kinds of things. We are two very different countries, but literally joined. At yeah, the very end. true. And uh, sharing all kind, you know, people who've gone back and forth for generations, as you know. Um, in right. fact, my own family, half of it, I've, I've discovered in recent years is, you know, migrated to the United States, not to Canada, in like the 1700s. Yeah. I've lived in the U.S. for four generations before moving to Saskatchewan. And um, yeah, it never occurred to me, certainly, until uh, that, in a way, I suppose, you, there's a little bit of American in a lot of us. I think there is, and, and especially if you live in the West, the connection, the North-South connection is often much stronger than the East-West connection. You have more in common with, uh, you know, the folks in Minnesota than you do with the folks yes, in Ottawa. Yes, that, that is certainly true, and the same issues apply. Um, you know, the sense of, uh, the, the middle American sense of grievance is very much what I recall growing up with in Saskatchewan, and um um, I often try to explain that to my to my wife who who grew up in Ottawa, and that's difficult. It's right. a difficult. She used to work for for Pierre Elliott Trudeau, the current Prime Minister's father. Yeah. Just FYI for those of you who may not know that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, she was very much a creature. She was, of that. And, uh, you know, and so it remains kind of. I get it. I still get it because. Again, you try to explain what that feeling is to somebody who lives in a privileged, relatively speaking, a an economically privileged place. That is to say, a place where decisions are made, whether you're rich or poor or whatever you are, at least, you know, down the block, somebody's making decisions about your country. You right. feel like you're thousands of miles away um, in Saskatoon or Wadena or someplace like that. You have nothing to <laughs> exactly. do with it, and they'll let you know what the At least that's what it feels like. I'm not sure they let you do it yeah. at all, but it feels that way. So I understand that. Yeah, the yep. flyover zone. 
as it's it's uh, called in political terms. Your um, your daughter in law talking about the dumpster fire, and and we do see that uh, from our vantage point here. That quite literally, some of the streets of America's largest cities yeah. are burning. Uh, you're in the midst of the perpetual election campaign, where you've got two old white guys in their 70s in 2020 competing to be the president. Like, it's, it is it is an odd deep. time. <laughs> is- when you think about how incredibly polarized this country is, and yet these are two mm-hmm. you know, white guys in their 70s. So they're exactly the same in so many ways. But in character, I guess they're vastly different. But it, it's... If you were looking at it only from visual perspectives, you'd wonder what was going on here. Well, I mean, that was said about the last election. Are are the best two candidates you can come up with, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, you know, people who've kind of been around the block. And and it it does beg the question again with, uh, you know, there are concerns about Biden's mental state. There's no question. There are daily concerns about the president's mental state for different reasons. (laughs) Like this is, you know, this is not good. Are you fearful that the the great American empire is is in decline? I think by the time you realize it's in decline, it's already too late. And and I have I have a sneaking feeling that it's sort of kind of semi almost there. Um, And, you know, people here wring their hands about it. But um, but still, there is a kind of an underlying sense of confidence that there's no other country in the world like this. It's the best country on the planet. And that's always going to be the most powerful country. And it may well be. But yeah, and certainly militarily, it's very powerful. But yeah. Right. And the empire couldn't have been in great shape if one guy can undo it in four years. I mean, I think that's right. to your point that the decline is long and slow if, in it, fact, it, it, there that's have been the case. underlying problems which were, you know, been festering for quite a long time. Which, and by the way, those are the kind of problems that I would be seeing that and my colleagues and I have seen for the last couple of decades of doing these kinds of stories. Because you run into every imaginable mm-hmm. kind of uh, um, perspective and, and, and bias. Um, and the, the key, of course, is to just listen to people and not you know, try to argue with them or anything like that. But those, um, those attitudes are, have been present for a long time. As a former journalist, I, it's always hard to be a former, but I, former I have somehow. put that, <laughs> that part of my, you know, that part of my life, you're, you're doing slightly different things, but I, I've got to say, I, I am um, fearful for the state of our business, not just financial. I mean, obviously the models are yeah. changing and the, the fiscal realities are very, very different, but that sense of objectivity um, which is always supposed to be there. I know always a concept you just chase. It's harder to uh, to catch, obviously. Uh, but that sense that you did not put on a jersey and uh, form up, which we now see on American networks and to a lesser degree yeah. here. I, You're either cheering for Trump or, Trump or trying to pull him down. I just hope that, they, that it stays to a much, much lesser extent in Canada. It's, um, it surely, surely exists here. And, you know, it's been building for a long time. Uh, going back to the, to the early talk shows that became so popular on the radio, uh, 
especially in the places where people didn't pay too much attention to it. Several of those Midwestern places, and people would listen to Rush right. Limbaugh as much as they possibly could, and, and to the other people who came on the radio who were who were starting the Great Divide. And um, then when Fox came along, we saw what he was doing. It was pretty obvious what their agenda was. Um, but I think the light bulb that went on in the minds of other uh, television producers was, holy cow, this makes money. It makes lots. Yeah, yeah, that works. So now you've got but, MSNBC yeah, you and stuff, and nobody knows who to believe anymore. Uh, and then you add yeah. social media to the mix, and it's a poison brew, man. <laughs> so true crime doesn't look that bad, it's, is what you're saying. <laughs> having yeah, resisted that's the it. other reason it sells it, is because it just seems simple <laughs> and direct, and you can explain, you know? Yes. Yeah. 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 And bad guys, bad people. Here. Maybe not so much. Well, that's the thing. In the in the end, it is kind of here's the bad guy. He's going to get caught. He's going to jail. Um, justice has been done in some way. It's very hard to find that on the political front uh, in our world. We have another little bit of sound here because you know you were a very big name in Canada. Um, the two of us at a certain point in our careers, um, while we might have thought we were pretty good at our jobs, our respective employers decided we weren't. <laughs> Quite what they wanted, apparently, yeah. <laughs> we, we weren't exactly what they wanted. Um, but both of us went on to do things that were very uh, interesting. Um, you know, I started my own company and, and sure. did television shows. You went instantly to Dateline, where you've been. Uh, for 25 years and been hugely successful, so much so that you are, you know, referenced in movies, in magazines. GQ, I think, just recently called you the Mr. Rogers of murder. You're you're part of the <laughs> cultural fabric. <laughs> but, you know, why not? Let's uh, the, I just want this is Bill Hader, who who regularly when he was on SNL Saturday Night Live would uh, would do send ups of you. So let's let's just hear this life crimes and stories of real people in bad situations. Elroy Valentine was an ordinary man who went out one day to catch a bass. But instead, he caught a case of murder. It's the mystery of the chopped up guy. You do have to laugh. <laughs> the mystery of the chopped up guy. Of the, of the chopped up guy. But I mean, you are a um, a personality in the United States. Your ratings are incredible. Here's this boy from hmm. Lloyd Minster in Saskatchewan and Saskatoon. I mean, what, what does it look like in retrospect? I don't live up to the billing, you know, I just, <laughs> I work out of my house. I get up in the morning, I get on my little computer, I fill yeah. scripts. And these days, of course, we do all our interviews by remote control, but otherwise you get out on the road and talk to these folks. I mean, I didn't, I, this, uh, this, uh, you know, cultural thing that built up around it was uh, a total surprise to me. And I um, don't, didn't get it then. I don't really get it now. But, you know, I'm not going to turn it down. No, you're not going to turn it down. And I'm sure when you're out on the road doing things that everybody's running around these days, they want the selfie with you. They want the autograph, whatever 
today's version. I guess the selfie, the selfie. is today's autograph, isn't it? it? It is, or it was until COVID, and now, yeah, and now we, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much gone away. That kind of may I take a selfie with you? Yeah, yeah. nobody dares get that close because. Yeah. You'll be ridiculed if anybody actually posts the picture for not standing there with the mask on, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what's your sense of it right now? Are you feeling like, of course, you're doing your work from home? You've you've always done a lot of work from home. Yeah. You're such a great writer, so that just goes on in private anyway. Yeah, well, that's very kind of you. People are there No, but my mistakes, which is very helpful. Yeah, but you, you really are. You're a, you're a storyteller at your core. Thank you, Pam. That's very nice. I don't know what to say. <laughs> no, but it, it it is. And so you, you've you got this work environment that doesn't change that much with COVID. Not but really. Do, no. you, do you think the world of work or the work that we've done through our careers is, is going to somehow be fundamentally changed by this? Yes, some people may go back to the office and yes, at some point masks will be lifted, but it feels to me like there's been a change. I think there's no question about it. And um, here's a perfect example. The iconic headquarters of NBC for, what, almost 100 years has been um, 30 Rockefeller Plaza. Right. And um, 30 Rock, the TV show, was really just, uh, you know, adoration of that idea. But it's been, I mean, anybody in the television business uh would come to 30 Rock is the way people yeah. go to Mecca just to kind of look at the walls and think, here's here's where things happen. 30 Rock. And the rainbow room on the top oh, floor and the whole thing, yes. 30 Rock is empty now. Um, I don't think there are more than half a dozen NBC employees in the building. You have to have special permission to go inside. But we have been informed that wow. we probably won't even work from there in the future. Um whether we retain the building or not, it's, it's hard to know. I hear some people saying, when we get back in, we'll do this, we'll do that. Um, we could, we could probably do everything we do now without ever entering that building. The editors all work from home. The, I right. home, the producers work from home. We all get together on Zoom. <laughs> well, here we are. Here we are. You know. On Zoom, having this conversation. Years, and here we are. <laughs> I know. That's what, well, we actually, we put the video up. I mean, on the podcast, it'll just be audio, but but we are actually having a visit and and uh, it, it's great. It's, it's, you look exactly the same, by the way. I should just say that. Yuri. <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, but that that is, a, I mean, that is a profound thing. If If television headquarters will never be populated again. In any true sense. Yeah, certainly not in the way it has been before. And yeah, that that was a kind of a moment when we all thought, wow, this is really going to be different now. The other thing that, that amazed me, and uh, I guess it shouldn't, given the tools at our disposal these days, is, is how much everybody can do at home that they didn't realize they could do at home. Yeah. Running parliaments and running, yeah. you know, meetings and major corporations on zoom i mean i've spoken to a lot of friends who just said you know i'm not i'm not going to fly to japan anymore the flight kills me i mean we could just do a meeting on zoom absolutely yeah and you know and the television interviews look just as good so mm -hmm. but then that breaks down other social connectors too 
Well, yes, the, and, and right, and, um, and and it also robs the. Um, just speaking selfishly, it robs the mm. the of the joy of traveling around the, and see. You know, I went to Saskatoon last fall because there was a really? story there about the murder that didn't happen, um, and it just looked like a great little one-hour story. And I was going to uh, we. <laughs> Producer, a friend of mine, and I went up there and we talked to all the people involved and made the, you know, decision we were going to go ahead with this thing. And uh, I was quite excited about being able to go home to Saskatoon to do a story for Dateline. But um, COVID happened. But, but COVID <laughs> happened. Be going there, yeah. Well, well, Saskatoon's looking very good. I mean, it's a pretty city. You remember that, <laughs> you know, the, the bridges and the, the water and this time of year, it's beautiful. The Paris of the West, they used to call them. Yes, the Paris of the West. So are you going to spend the rest of your days in, in uh, L.A.? We, um, uh, I don't, rarely does a day go by where Suzanne and I don't <laughs> say, so we got to get going. We have to get someplace north of the word, ASAP. Because um, we've been intending to do this for years. But just <laughs> years go by and you don't do it, so... But we miss it tremendously, and you know, whenever we're north of the border, we get that longing to be home again. And you've got some family north, and your stepson Matthew. He's is he still in L.A.? He's still in L.A. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple of kids who live in the Toronto area, and yeah. and grandchildren there, and uh, right. Um, a couple more who are kind of, you know, look like they're being. Sucked up northward pretty soon too. Yeah. So I guess the it is migration seems to be sort of semi underway. Yeah, it'll do, it'll only take you another twenty five years. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Might Honestly, it is just no. Just you know, you come on up, like, uh, and it is. It's an. I always wanted to spend more time in New York. That was my spiritual home in some other life. But you know, when you see. Uh, the degradation of of the cities it's 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 sad it yeah. really is yeah. to coin a phrase what is not sad is talking to you this has just been great but so many things you know the people that if, if they knew about you know the son of a preacher man the son of a <laughs> united church minister who way back at age 20 your dad sent you out to comfort a recent widow well, I was supposed to be a student minister. In fact, I was for that summer. Yeah. Um, and my dad, the sweetest man on the planet, knew that I really wasn't, I wasn't amounting to much at that stage. <laughs> so he tried to give a little hand by, uh, you know, allowing me to get into this program of student minister. And I went to <laughs> Regina Beach and Disley, those two little towns north of Regina. Yeah. And did the Sunday services over the, over the course of the summer. Got to know the people. But I remember once there was a funeral for an elderly farmer who had you know, lived in that community all his life, and his widow who had been there all her life. And I found myself actually sort of being the one who had to be there for her, was there for her in a situation where she was kind of using me as somebody to talk to, and it mm -hmm. was. Like at that moment, and it was a, it was an otherworldly experience. Like she shouldn't be doing this. Um, I shouldn't be doing this. I I, I don't know what I'm doing here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and you you know 
feel all the empathy in the world, but I just, I was a kid and not a very, you know, astute one. But ironically, you've ended up doing that much of your career. Yep. A lot of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love you. Honestly, it's great to talk to you, Keith. You too. We'll we'll stay in touch. Say hi to Suzanne, and uh, we'll talk again when we're not on Zoom. Yeah. Now, what we'll t- what do you do in the Senate? How do you you, you can't get up? There well, that's that's the problem. Make a speech. There, we're, we're we're that's sort of where this podcast came from, in a way. Which is, we were thinking about it before, but then when COVID hit. Uh, your job as a senator is to represent the people of your province. So we started doing this podcast to say, here are some amazing people in Saskatchewan who do really interesting things. They're all over the world. They're everywhere. They're solving problems. They're thinking big thoughts. They're being famous. Like, why not showcase this? This is sort of my new definition of the Senate, which is a, a podcast. You can have I think it is. Proof of that old saying, I think you can go anywhere in the world and always run into somebody from Saskatoon. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That, that is actually really true. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally true. So mm-hmm. that's why we're doing it. And I'm thrilled that you, uh, you agreed to be here. It's wonderful. It's been a delight. Thank you. Okay. We'll talk soon, Keith. Yeah. Take good care. Bye. Bye-bye.